Hello and welcome to this latest CN podcast. I'm Anthony Myers. Mia, short for Made in Africa, is branching out from its base in Madagascar to work with cocoa farms in West Africa to produce a new chocolate bar called Ghana Gold. Co-founder Brett Beach tells Confectionery News the reason behind the move and also provides an update on the situation on the island and for the sector in general. Take a listen. Um, Brett, for, for listeners who perhaps don't know the company, tell us a little bit, a little bit more about uh, MIA. Sure. So um, Mia, short for Made in Africa, is a food brand, and our whole goal is to make products in Africa rather than buying raw ingredients. So it's a pretty simple concept, but because uh, the African continent has generally been um, outside this market of finished products. Um, there's there's some challenges that happen in doing that. The reason we do that is on a personal level, both of us, the co-founders, my wife and I had uh, lived in Africa for a total of seven years combined. So we really connected with the communities and the struggles people faced. And then on, on another level, we see that making products can create jobs. And that is, in our view, the most sustainable way to um, allow people to have more prosperity. And also, they have great raw ingredients, so you can make great products, you know. So it all kind of fits together for us. Fantastic. And, you know, we, we, I've been following you, I've known about your, uh, Mia for, for quite a while now. But over the past couple of years, you know, you seem to have, I was just looking on your your, 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 your playbook, your, um, your, your year um, uh, report, and you have quite a lot, large portfolio for a small company. Um, yeah, tell us a little bit about your... Um, your, your line of products and, you know, what's the secret of, of your success? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's a real mix. So I, we have had about now 15 years in the industry. So I had experience before and that helps. But I think at the core of it is really working with great partners. So in chocolate, that starts with the cocoa farmers and then on to the factory. And then what we do is we look to be a really good counterpart. So in product development, we'll work with the chocolate maker to help define the product, but obviously depend on their skills to know the technical parameters. And then we can bring in inclusions and track the market. So I'd say in a sense, while we don't live in Africa because of the experience, we can sort of have one foot in each side, knowing the market, knowing what's possible, and then building that around our core goal, which is to make products in Africa. So sometimes we have to pass up, you know, exotic products or new product development because it's just not possible. But there is enough that is that we we've been able to develop the brand. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's a combination. And we have some great advisors as well. So people who are really passionate about the MIA mission and making a difference. And they add those years of experience, you know, in short calls that can help prevent pitfalls, basically. Wow. And um, I know. Uh, you're, you're keen uh, to talk about your latest um, launch, which is which is coming up. Um, and thank you. I, I received uh, a couple of samples through the post, and I, I really enjoyed um, Ghana Gold, um, which is a new bean to bar line. You know, in cooperation with a single cocoa cooperative. Uh, a, you can tell me who it is um, in Ghana. But how did this come about? Yeah. So. You know, at the outset, my experience, my six years in Africa was in Madagascar. So that's I feel like it's a second home to me and people were so generous and kind. Um, But when we started Mia, we said, okay, we'll start in Madagascar and that's important. But we all we want Mia made in Africa is obviously a big continent. So our goal was always to expand beyond that one country. 
and for us, Ghana is really an addition, not a not at all a replacement. Because if you will, um, Madagascar is quite specialty uh, in nature, the cocoa and the production, and Ghana is more of a mass market. But getting back to the cocoa, um, we uh, we quite early on connected with the dock of Chalk, Christy. Lessel, and she was really key on the ground yes. for us. I know her well, so yes. She has, she's written about Coco and, and obviously has great experience in Ghana. And so she really helped us to interview different farmer cooperatives, consider, and then also in cooperation with the production partner who's very knowledgeable about the cocoa industry, we ended up selecting a BOKFA, a fair trade and organic cooperative. Um, yeah, and I can yeah. tell you more about yeah. them if you want why we did. Um, Please do. No, please expand. Yeah. Yeah. So with the MIA, our, our, again, our mission is made in Africa. We'll be buying under, you know, the cocoa will be coming in under the fair trade certification. So that was important to us because obviously when you enter West Africa, there are other challenges, uh, child labor, sometimes slave labor, that kind of thing. And then we were just really impressed by the transparency of the BOKFA and their tracking of farmers and preventing a lot of, you have issues around deforestation that can happen or even kind of cross-trading of cocoa coming in if you don't really know your farmers. And the last thing I think, while we're not making an organic product, it's really exciting to buy organic cocoa because what we discovered in interviewing the farmers is that a lot of them, they couldn't grow their secondary crops, which are important to feed their family with pesticides and things. So when they switched to organic, that really helped their livelihoods outside of, let's say, the cocoa business. And so I think these are all considerations that you learn about when you're you know, when you dig in with the farmers. Okay, and you've got a, f a fantastic product as well. I mean, it really is premium um, um, chocolate and it's, you know, the, the, the different flavors and everything. It, it very, really was impressive. Um, what's the timeline for the launch on Ghana Gold? Sure, so, you know, if a consumer would listen, they might say, well, you're in touch early, but as you know, in the industry, things take time. Um, so we've been working on this about, uh, nearly a year and we will launch uh, the production in Q2 and we expect the product to be in the market in the third quarter. So there's still a little bit to go, but with COVID and everything, um, yeah. we really relied on, you know, the Zoom and Christy and the factory and the farmers and I'll, I'll go out to Ghana in May and uh, tie some things up uh, before production. But that, that's okay. the plan. Yeah. And where, where where will the new bars be available? And 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 also for your 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 portfolio in general as well. Where can where can, can consumers you know get hold of Mia chocolate? Sure. So we'll we'll look to have them in the U.S., um, Australia, the Netherlands, Germany, and Ireland, um, and and Greece. Sorry, because we're in we're we're ready to 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 have a partnership there for the distribution. So they'll be fairly spread around. I think at the outset, it'll be more premium specialty, but our sense, we've designed Ghana really for a little bit more of the, the semi-premium mass market. So more in line with uh, kind of grocery. Um, and that's ultimately where we see some opportunities, but there's quite a dialogue going on around cocoa conditions. And we think it's only natural that people start to look at the bigger picture. And that's where Mia's positioned to, to differentiate retailers by saying, okay, not just helping cocoa farmers, but there's a whole supply chain in Africa that we're supporting with this product. Uh, so, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, let's, let's go back to Madagascar, uh, yeah. where it all began. And I know um, uh, Mia is uh, very proud of its own impact program you have all, you have running there, the, the One for Change um, program. Um, if you could just 
tell us a little bit more about um, Madagascar? You know, everyone's been suffering the last couple of years because of the pandemic in various various levels. But I, I understand that Madagascar, you know, it's been a drought. It's been quite severe. It's yeah. been a real struggle. Um, what do you know about that? When was the last time you were there? Yeah, I was there about two years ago because it was before yeah. COVID and I had to skip. Yeah. I usually go every year. Um and um, and that's I think the first time I haven't been in the 20 years that since I moved there and then moved back. But Madagascar, you know, it's people people are life there is good in a certain way because it's very peaceful and people uh, really work together. Um, it's an island nation, but it is one of the poorest countries in the world, and particularly in the south, um, it's the poorest region of one of the poorest countries. It's very dry, so I always think of Utah in the U.S. or you know just really arid regions, and it's always been kind of on the border of of famine, and and with three years of drought, partly in um, global warming and in other conditions, there's um, there's been extreme suffering, and and more recently they were hit by a tropical storm and a cyclone, so it went the other way. So, so what we did, you know, with One for Change, we set aside funds and we, we took inspiration from the concept of fair trade, community development, also, you know, whole whole planet with Whole Foods where they do community development in, in their own way. And sometimes frustrating because you see more projects than you can do. We are a business, but we also think it's important to show people um, how other people are living and help help those people and so we've done you know with with the south we did some famine relief and then we did covid relief in madagascar as well and then we do other projects that are kind of more looking to the future and less to relief like um, girls education and uh, school kitchens and nutrition um and then this year we did a literacy program yes so I, th I think what it does really is it's it's a way to make an impact outside the cocoa chain sometimes sometimes it's within but it's also really a way to share the stories and the aspirations of people, you know, on different sides of the world while while giving them a route to, to a better life, basically. Yeah. I mean, for, for a relatively small company, you are making a huge, huge impact on, you know, on people's lives there. And that's got to be uh, commended. You are showing the way the way forward that you know, for chocolate companies, large and small, how they should be acting, how they should be behaving, their responsibility. I know that there are many other uh, fantastic brands big and small that are they're trying to make a difference as well i mean what um in general speaking what what can the industry do to 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 help you know with with child labor with with uh farmer income yeah i think in it's a good question i think one is no you know know your farmers as much as possible and by that i mean you know at least know who you're working with know at the top level that they understand their farmers so it's not literally that everybody there are very big companies can go and and meet every farmer um but for us we have that advantage that we can identify specific villages like abokva is about a thousand members and we'll be identifying about half of those where, where we'll source um so i think that that's the start and seeing the reality on the ground you know uh, outside of chocolate i've seen some documentaries of huge companies with CEOs have never even been to the place where their products are made or their ingredients are sourced. So I think the human side really helps for people to see. And if you never go and see it, then it's there's no face to the, to the issue, you know. Um, and I guess the last thing is to, for companies starting, I think what's important is to build it into the DNA. So, you know, um, anybody who's, I don't know, I have children and you really 
you have to start from the beginning of how you how you want uh, the tone you want to set and kind of the rules. And I think it's the same at the company. So for Mia, the one for change, we do it whether we make a profit or not. And I think that just creates um, an expectation from the company and that builds it into the DNA. And, you know, we, we say we, we have standards and we just stick to them. And sometimes we miss opportunities because of that. But setting that early makes it a habit and makes it feel normal. I think companies that might grow without that and then try and um, reverse engineer, then they have issues because the pricing might go up. Um, the, the, the culture is not in the company, so people aren't ready for those changes. Whereas if you build that culture from the beginning, you attract people who are supportive of it and understand it and can sell it and can explain it, you know? So I don't think it's easy for, for big companies. Not that I pity the ones that are, that are kind of supposedly the culprits of a lot of these issues. Um, but I do, I do think it is a little bit easier if you do it from the start, you know, and, and a lot of these issues have kind of just been swept under the rug for too long. And I think that's wow. the challenge, you know? Like, okay, good. Thank you. Yeah. You just reminded me something as well there. Just no, nothing to do with uh, sustainability, but well, on the, on the business side, uh, the supply chain and the the cost of raw materials and yeah. because of the pandemic and because of the shortages, how's that impacting uh, Mia? Are, are you starting to feel that now? Is it filtering through? We do. Yeah, we see it, and it's not just the cost, um, you know, of carton and paper, um, but it's also the time involved, the lead times. Um, even last year, we had um, a container that was at sea almost, you know, over 100 days instead of 45. So you you have customers waiting and th there's a huge disruption, especially in the U.S. The ports are jammed up and some some shippers don't even service the ports anymore. So I think it's a real it's a tough time and prices are going up faster than salaries, I would dare to say. And so I think it's tough on consumers. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, Brett, thank you. And, and for final question, um, I know you were at uh, the ISM Pro Suites, uh, huge trade fair, sweets and snacks trade fair in, in Cologne. I didn't make it myself um, because, just because of the situation uh, over there. But I understand the, the, the fair was, was, was successful in the sense that it went ahead and that the planning and the organization was good. And I know, I think you were there as a visitor, not as, as an exhibitor. Um, just give us a little insight into you know your your thoughts uh, on that and how was it and and generally moving forward uh, the state of the industry now you know as we hopefully come to the end of this pandemic and things get back to normal yeah i think you know we have the luxury in the chocolate confectionery industry that it's whether you buy less expensive or premium it's an affordable product so i think in that way chocolate and, and candy will survive all of these challenges. And what I saw at the show is people are really ready. It's just that the environment is not facilitating it yet. And it's not to blame any anybody in particular, but once testing is clarified, how people can travel, and then the show can go forward in more confidence, and then the, the visitors will come. And I just felt like this year was so confusing that people were scared off. And I almost, it's funny when I was thinking about this question, you know, that enabling, there's so many obstacles that people just naturally fade away. And that's kind of a lot what we see in, in Africa as well, obstacles to accessing the global market. And if you don't facilitate that, then it's just people, people just shy away from it. It's too much. And I think that's what ISM was this year. Too many obstacles, um, too many fears of getting COVID and sitting in a hotel instead of going to show, that kind of thing. But I think next year it will be a completely different 
Uh, no, I, I look forward to it, and I, I've missed it, and I was disappointed that I couldn't make um, um, the ISM this year. But but there you go. So, and f finally, I mean, you know, as things get back to normal, you mentioned you're going to, over to Ghana, hopefully in May. Um, when do you expect to go back to Madagascar? And are you looking now to start your your travels to start, start getting back on the ground to start visiting these communities that you've you've worked with? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I hope we could go back to Madagascar this year. You know, as a small company, it's somewhat fueled by new product development because we work closely with the production team and obviously we want to be in touch with the farmers. Um, so I think in, in Madagascar, the one advantage I have is having lived there six years and, and traveled the country. It's easy to transport myself back and relate to what's going on. Sure, with sure. Ghana, that's not the case. So that will be the first um, visit, but yes, in terms of travel, even in the market, I think Zoom is great, but people people need that face to face sometimes. So we'll start to go out to the UK, Ireland, um, and other markets in the next couple of months. Um, great, yeah. Brett. Okay, we'll we'll leave our conversation there for now, um, and I look look forward to catching up with you in person somewhere, sometime um, in the not too distant future, hopefully. But wish you luck with uh, with the launch of Ghana Gold and with with Mia and everything that you're doing there. And thank you very much for coming in and talking to us. Thanks, Tony. It's a pleasure.